So the next reading in Job is over chapter 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, This far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the abyss wisdom or gives the cockerel understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope listening to that, you're beginning to sort of get a feel for the sort of poetry that, that this book is. It's not a scientific manual, is it? Um, Although some people, their criticism of the Bible is they look at this sort of stuff and say, well, we know this is, you know, there aren't storehouses of snow, are there? You know, what, so isn't it irrelevant to this book? Of course, it's poetry, a magnificent poem. 
So we're going to look onwards um, in this book, this magnificent epic poem. But I've got a question for you. Um, you know, some of you, you're, the answer is we know, so you're, you, you won't relate to this at all. But I'm going to, to ask you this question anyway. Are you a control freak? Now, some of you go, no, I am really so laid back. I am so laid back that, um, you know, anything can happen. Um, you know, or are you one of these people whose conscientiousness, if you do one of those psychological testing things, you're up at like 99%. You know, because actually everything has to be ordered in order for life to be okay. You need to know what's happening, what's happening when, and you can't actually do any work until the place, your desk is clear. It needs to be ordered, or in fact, you waste a load of time clearing the desk so that you can clear your head, so you can work. Um, actually, talking about conscientiousness, one of my children, who remain nameless, did one of those tests and scored 1% on conscientiousness. <laughs> he said, out of a room of 100 people, 99 people are more conscientious than you. And actually, none of us were surprised, you know. <laughs> But for most of us, we, we do like some level of control in our lives, don't we? Um, and we may not be at the 99, and we may not be at the extreme of the one, but we, we like to make plans, and we like to know how life is going. And, and it's hard when we don't have control over events, and my goodness, we haven't had control over events, and as we've been hearing, you know, things come. They just sort of push everything to one side. I know when my children were little and they used to say, you know, can we go to Legoland or whatever it might be? And they'd say, we, we will go to Legoland this summer. My, my mother-in-law happened to live not that far, so you could go and stay at her and go there. And they thought it was brilliant. You promise, you promise that we'll go to Legoland? See? And I think we used, to, we used to, at that point, say, well, we will plan to go to Legoland. Um, but we're not absolutely saying that something couldn't happen that might stop us being able to go to Legoland because we don't know. Now, a generation gone past used to say DV. Do some people know that? You know, I will do such and such DV. Now, DV stands for the initials of Latin phrase, which I forget. But basically, it's God willing. I'll do that God willing because I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't guarantee what might happen. Because stuff happens, doesn't it? The trivial stuff happens. Uh, my husband and I recently um, were doing the, the North Coast 500 in Scotland. Bit of it. Uh, we didn't do it all. We were, and we would go from Airbnb to places. And that, that was a great thing to do if you have a chance. But it's not a great place to get a puncture <laughs> in the middle of nowhere um, and not have a spare tire in the back of the car because we've got one of those stupid cars that doesn't have room for a spare tire, but just gives you a punch repair kit. And this was beyond repair. <laughs> um, so, so that day didn't go to plan, as you can imagine. And uh, where you get, how you get tires in, in the middle of nowhere, um, well, it takes a long time. Anyway, I can tell you, it takes a long time. <laughs> but it did get repaired. Stuff happens, doesn't it? And it's trivial stuff, and it throws your plans, and it's, yeah. But then, of course, stuff happens that is so much more serious than that, as we all know, and as we've just been hearing. Um, yeah, really tough stuff. We are not in control. And that's what happened to Job, isn't it? Job, successful, everything going well, and then suddenly not in control. 
and he'd been struggling to make sense of it all. And Elihu's come along, and he's, he's told him some stuff that's really helpful to help Job on his way. You know, you can trust God. God is interceding for you. You know, God will use this. He is speaking to you. He's not silent. But there's still things that Job doesn't know. And that's what's really exciting about these poems. Because God is going to reveal more stuff to him. And it's not just stuff about, I made the snow. See, Job, there's one thing that Job really hasn't got to grips with at any point during the book. And it's that he doesn't really know who his real enemy is. He's convinced, as you, as you read through, he's convinced that actually what's happening to him is at the hand of God. And he actually says, and he withdraw your hand far from me. And he says to his friends, stop condemning me, have pity on me, for the hand of God has struck me. But the truth is, if we look at this, what we've been told right at the beginning, it's not the hand of God, is it? It was Satan's hands. God said to Satan, very well, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Job has been suffering at Satan's monstrous hands. God had allowed it to happen, but this suffering was coming from Satan's hands. Well, Elihu has been trying hard to help Job make some sense of what's going on. And we, we haven't looked at everything that he said. He goes on. Um, by the time you get to chapter 37, Elihu's still speaking. People really do think Elihu's very wordy. <laughs> And he does, does take a long time to say things. He's still speaking in chapter 37. And he gets, he gets to the end and he, he says um, to Job, he starts talking about this. He kind of changes his track a bit. And he says, verse 14, listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge. You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies, after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him. For does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? Elihu continues to remind Job of God's nature. He begins to say, God is this great creator who's in control of everything. Control of creation, control of the weather, the heat, when you swelter in your clothes and you don't really understand it. So is that part of the answer for Job? You know, trust God. God is the creator. He's beyond us, but trust him, he is good. He is there and fear him because that's kind of as far as Elihu gets. And then 
God speaks. And that is what we need to look at. What does the Lord say to Job? Because I think Elihu's role in this book is a bit like John the Baptist. He's like sort of building up and preparing for the entrance of the Lord's encounter with Job. So he said some really, really good stuff. But then, chapter 38, the Lord speaks to Job out of the storm. And so what does the Lord want to say to Job? Does he just say, Job, fear me. I made everything, so just be quiet. Well, I'm going to say to you, well, no. Even though when we first read it, it can feel like that. And I think commonly, we've often thought that's what basically the book is doing. You know, he gives all this sort of display of things, and we haven't read it all together. He starts talking about all sorts of animals. And, and, and he just, is he just saying, hey, look, I made goats, so you have got nothing to say to me. Is that what's really going on at the end of this book? Well, I want to say that absolutely not. There's so much more here. And it's not a philosophical argument either. It's not the way Job's friends has approached Job. This is a real personal encounter that God is coming to Job and showing him and revealing things to him. He's revealing his wisdom. He's revealing his power. He's revealing his majesty. And it's an encounter that has a huge impact on Job. Job, who has in many ways been full of words, even though he's been struggling, is absolutely silenced by this. When we get to chapter 40, Job's response in verse 4 is, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I'm absolutely silent. I've got nothing to say. So what was it that God said? Well, he certainly does say, I've made stuff. He describes, as you read through these chapters, just an array of animals. I mean, we got a few of them, didn't we? We saw, we saw the lioness and the hunger of the lions and the raven. I mean, before that, you have the, the stars and, and the sea. You go into chapter 39, you get my favorite animal, the goat, which is my second favorite animal. I have to go with Labradors first. You go through, you've got wild donkeys, ostriches, horses, hawks. There is an array of animals. And certainly God made them and knows all about them. But what is he really wanting Job to know? Well, let's take a close look at chapter 38, just the first 11 verses, which were just read to us. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who lay its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further? Here is where your proud waves halt. What is God saying? 
he is beginning to say to Job, my wisdom is absolutely immense and mind-blowing. You weren't, you weren't there when, all, when I set everything up. But he's saying more than I just created the physical earth. Because he's talking about the sea here. And remember that we're in this poetry. And the sea is a metaphor. In the Bible, the sea, especially in the Old Testament, is a metaphor for a place of chaos and evil. A place where evil dwells and churns up. It's not surprising for a little Israel to sort of see this, this sea as a metaphor of evil, with its huge waves and uncontrollableness. When we get to the end of the Bible story, I always used to struggle because I love the sea. We always used to struggle when it said, and I see a new heavens and a new earth, and there's no longer any sea. <laughs> wow, no sea, and that's really sad. No sea in the new creation. You know, many of you may have been to see the sea over this summer, into the coast. No sea, that's sad. Of course, it's not, there's no longer any seas, there's no longer any evil. Gone. The sea represents this place of evil. So what is God really telling Job? And what does Job really need to hear? Yes, he needs to know that God is the creator of all things. But he also needs to know this, that right at the beginning, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further. He sets limits to evil. This far you may come and no further. Do you remember Satan wanting to destroy Job? And God says, this far you may come, but no further. You may not take his life. God restrains evil. He has set limits to evil. It's there, but it's restrained. This is an incredibly good news, isn't it? Satan's hand is restrained. Evil is restrained. And God has the power to do it. I don't know about you. I mean, sometimes um, you know, life is assaulting you personally. And other times you, you, you just look on at the world. And you, you, you put on the TV. Maybe you've seen some of the things that have been going on in Afghanistan this, this summer. And then you get another email through your email box from a friend who's a missionary out there telling you of people and what's happening to them or maybe something from a, a prayer letter from the Barnabas Fund or whatever organization that you're involved with and you think I don't even know if I can bear to read this because it's so painful and it's so awful and I just don't want to look it just feels overwhelming and there have been things that have been happening in our, I mean, through all generations. But maybe in the last few years, the last couple of years, it's feel like the world has had a huge wake-up call. But evil is around. And however much we progress and advance, it just still keeps coming. And it's overwhelming. You think, I don't want to 
I just feel a bit overwhelmed by that. God says, know this. I have set boundaries in place. Evil is restrained. There is, there is a boundary. God has made a boundary. We, we may not know where it is, and sometimes it feels like there is no boundary when you hear another horror and think, how can that happen? But there is a boundary. There is a boundary. God is in control. And you can trust that God has set limits and also know one day there will no longer be any sea. That evil will be completely got rid of in the new creation. It is incredible news. So we can trust God because he really is in control of the big stuff. So why does this poem go on in quite the way it does? Why say so much? Is, is, is the Lord being a bit like Elihu and being incredibly wordy? <laughs> and with all these different images, because um, he now takes Job on a sort of like, a, it's like a bit like a David Attenborough a, a BBC documentary. He's taking him um, on a, a, a sort of a view and through poetry of, of these incredible little scenarios. You know, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Just picture the mountain goats. Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? And then he goes on and he, he looks at the, the ostrich and how the ostrich behaves and, and then the horse and, and the hawk. And in fact, as you, as you read, you read about that hawk, it, it, it's not necessarily the prettiest picture, actually. The end of verse 30, uh, chapter 39. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there, it looks for food and its eyes detect it from afar. And then the, in the sort of the Attenborough approach, he then says, and its young ones feast on blood. Where the slain are, there it is. So it's a beautiful, magnificent bird that kills its prey and brings them to its young in its nest. It's all quite brutal. <laughs> and it's raw. And it's uncontrollable. Because Job can't control nature. In fact, he looks at uh, the ox. Now, you, you think, well, the ox, that's a domestic animal. But we, no, he's, he's talking about the wild ox. We'll look at 39 verse 9. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? Job, can you get a wild ox and make it serve you? Can you bring it into, into your system and get it to plow your plow? Can you do that with a wild ox? No, you can't. You can't do it. It's, it's a wild ox. You can't use it. You can't make it useful. You, it's out of your control. You can't do anything with it. Now, told you I like Labradors. 
I, I've been able to train my Labrador to do a few things now. It's two years old, and she, she's got a few tricks. She can spin round on the spot. I can make her spin. I can make her to walk around me. It's really, it's really quite good. Um, so I'm really proud of that, and I can get her to give me her paw, and I can get her to give me her other paw. It's brilliant, absolutely useless. But, you know, yeah, I can think, hey, look, I, I am dog trainer extraordinaire, except when I put that dog on a lead, I cannot stop that dog pulling me on the lead, however hard I have tried. She's an absolute nightmare on the lead. She's great off the lead, but on the lead, I actually need to use a halty, for those of you that, that know about these things, because I've tried everything. I can't train her to walk nicely to heal. And I know that I'm incompetent, and maybe someone else could, but that I can't. And she's a big dog, and she's quite strong. So there you go. I can't do it. And that's a dog that's supposed to be trainable. <laughs> They're supposed to be the most trainable dogs ever. <laughs> My daughter got a lockdown hamster. Can you imagine that? Apparently you can, get, you can get rescue hamsters and she got a rescue hamster. I didn't know about rescue hamsters. I knew about rescue dogs, but you can get rescue hamsters. So she got herself a rescue hamster. But could you train a hamster? I mean, that's a tiny little creature. Can you really, can you train a hamster to even want to be held by you? Not really. I mean, she pretends it likes to be held by her. It doesn't. <laughs> it always wants to go somewhere else. You can't train a hamster. That, is really what's going on here. This is out of nature. It's out of your control. It's untamable. And at times it's unpredictable, as we read through this, and at times it's terrifying. But God is in control. He knows it all. He controls it all. And he sets his boundary on everything. That is good to know, isn't it? It's really good to know that when it feels like everything is out of control, God has set his boundary. Yeah, we're not in control. We can guarantee nothing, but God can. He is master over chaos. Nothing outside of his control. It is no wonder that Job says this in response. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I mean, how can you be anything else other than silent before God when you realize who he is? And yet, do we still want to hear a bit more? Is that an answer quite enough? Well, God doesn't leave it there either. He still has more to say. Three really important things. One of them we're going to look at before lunch and the other, the other two after lunch. So let me read to you um, just from the beginning of chapter 40 from verse 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. God is challenging Job here. 
He's challenging Job because Job has been challenging God about justice. God, are you fair? Are you a good judge? Why do the evil prosper and, and other people um, who seem to be innocent suffer? And here, God, I think, is taking Job by the hand and saying, really, Job, would you discredit my justice? That's what he says in verse 8. And Job had got very close, very close, saying, God, you're not fair. And here, God says, can you judge like me? We know that Job has been somebody who has made judgments for his community in the city square. But can you judge like me? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. It's like, dress up in your judge's robes then, Job, and have a go. See if you can do my job. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. You deal with the wicked. You sort them out. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Go on, Job, do it. And of course, Job can't. He's silenced. He knows he cannot. He knows that actually there is only one judge who can deal with evil. And we know it too. When we can have a go at justice, but our justice is flawed and inadequate, even at our best. As a nation, we pride ourselves on our justice system and our courts. And yet, as we spoke about earlier this morning, look what happened in the post office scandal. Even our system fails. And in our own personal lives, when we try and deal with things, well, we are often like Job's friends, and we get it completely wrong. We look at someone and we accuse them unjustly. We attribute evil to people that is unfair. You might think, well, when do we do that? <laughs> do it a lot on Twitter, that's for sure. There's all sorts of cruelty and accusations that go on in social media. But we do it in the tiny things, don't we? In our church lives, somebody doesn't quite say the right thing, and then we go away and we, we talk to a friend and we build it up and build it up and we, we make that person into a monster. When actually they were a bit shy or they were having a bad day or they weren't even aware of, of your presence. And you've created some sort of awful scenario because we don't bear with one another and we judge one another badly. Children do it all the time, don't they? <laughs> Arguing with each other and then they come to their parent and you stand there as these, these children are, are, are squabbling in front of you and, and you say, how am I supposed to judge this? I don't know. What's going on? I haven't got a clue. I can't do this just like I can't train my Labrador. You know, even in the tiny things, and no, I get it wrong. I'll be unjust because I don't really know. Job was the best of his day, but 
even he was beginning to get it wrong. And he knew God was good, and yet... Yes. Injustice and evil are terrible things. And our world can't deal with them. And yet God can. And that's a judgment we mustn't get wrong. Let's not blame God for evil, but let us know that he hates evil. He restrains evil and he will deal with evil. God judges rightly. And we have the most marvelous judge. We know what that judge is like because we have seen that Jesus is the one whom, through whom God is going to judge the world. And we know what he's like. Isaiah describes him like this. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Jesus, the judge who judges not by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will get it right. He won't make all those mistakes that we make. Jesus is a righteous judge, completely righteous, completely good. And so Job who's been fearing injustice and been experiencing injustice, can know that God will judge rightly. And you get to the end of the book and you see that. You see the way God speaks to Job and he, and he defends Job to his friends. He says, Job has spoken what is right about me, which is a remarkable testimony. And Job is upheld. And yet he also offers grace and mercy to Job's friends. God is a just and righteous judge, and Job can trust him. And that is a comfort, isn't it? It's a huge comfort. As God leads Job out of the storm, he says, I am in control. I'm in control of the uncontrollable. I've set limits on evil, and I will bring justice. I hope that brings you comfort, that there is refuge there. It is true refuge those believers that are facing terrible persecution it's things that we can't even begin to imagine god has put limits to evil and god will bring justice believers facing broken relationships and real pain god has put limits on evil and he will bring justice When we hear news of yet another appalling crime, of devastation, we need to remember God has set limits to evil. He will bring it all to an end and he will bring justice. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and one day there will be no more sea.
and Jesus will be seen as the righteous judge and every knee will bow before him and one day every tongue will be silent before him. We need to turn to him, don't we? We don't need words. I think we, when we have too many words. Job knew he didn't need words. They just bowed before him in awe and silence and know that he is good. That it is good news and God is revealing this amazing things about himself to Job. Because God loves Job. This is not an angry rebuke. It's a poem where God is saying, look at who I am. You can trust me. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for our amazing King Jesus, a righteous judge whom we can trust. Thank you that you have set limits to evil. And thank you that we can know one day that all evil will be dealt with and Jesus will judge rightly and we can take comfort in that. And Father, before you we bow, silence before you, knowing that you are good and we trust you with all things. Amen. Well, thank you, Karen. Just so good to be able to stop and be reminded of how big our God is. What we're going to do is we're going to sing. Um, what better song uh, than uh, 